Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 338th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that bought AMC, which bought eBay, which bought TCG Player, all so we could get you guys a 3% discount on Magic Singles. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I'm your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Derek the Dark Mage, at Oko Assassin on Twitter. And we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hi, everyone. Uh, Oko here. Great to be back for my second cast. This show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on the Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MDG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Derek, Derek, what a busy week in the world of Magic. What all do we have on the agenda? Lots going on for the middle of August, I tell you, James. Keeps us busy. Uh, So segment one, we're going to do our weekly MTGO metagame weekend review, talking about the modern and pioneer challenges over the weekend, Uh, followed by segment two, top paper movers, uh, as well as uh, top MTGO movers. Finally, we're going to go to the cards to watch, our weekly selections, and wrap it up. Uh, segment four, our weekly topics, which include the recent eBay buying TCG player for almost $300 million. Big news there. Uh, additionally, talking about the newest Dominaria United card reveals and closing on the big August Super Drop secret layer that just got announced this week. All right. Lots ahead of us. Let's dive right in. Starting off with the Modern Challenge on August 20th, that's this past Saturday, we had a pretty standard-looking top eight here. Four-color Omnath, Yorion, Yorion in first. Uh, probably most notable there that they're currently running four copies of Traverse the Ulvenwald, a card that people have tried to spec on a couple of times and had trouble getting there. Uh, second place was Blue-Red Murktide. We had Yogmoth Combo, Green-Black deck in both third and sixth. Black-Red Midrange, uh, in fourth place, and then two versions or two copies of the Indomitable Creativity Combo deck in fifth and eighth, respectively, both running four times Fable of the Mirror Breaker, four times Archon of Cruelty out of MH2, and then Grixis Shadow making a sort of rare appearance in seventh place to round out that eight. Yeah, some of these, they, it was a lot of more of the same this week, but there were a couple interesting things to note. Uh, first off, one of the Indomitable Creativity lists was Grixis, rather than what we normally see a four or five color. Uh, and in the Grixis shell, it runs, I think, some people's pet cards that they thought would do a lot in modern, which is Tainted Indulgence, the blue-black uh, instant that allows you to draw two cards and then discard unless you have five different mana values in the graveyard. Uh, the pilot of this actually top aided this challenge and uh, also did well in another uh, modern challenge that we over the weekend. So there might be something here. We'll see. And then the other thing I noticed in the uh, in this challenge is I did see Season Pyromancer in that value fourth place uh, build, which I haven't seen in a little while. And he just got reprinted in two x two, and so that was one 
you know, there wasn't an additional demand. It might see a little bit of cratering in price. So it's nice to see him still showing up in the top eight. Yeah, indeed. Moving on over to the Pioneer Challenge, August 21st. That was this past Sunday. We had Bant Spirits in first. I think that's a yet again, right? Weren't they? No, they were fifth place they last did well, week yeah. in the top eight, but they still did pretty well. Got two copies of Abzan Greasefang in second and third. Uh, Mono Green Teferi, which is the Mono Green deck running Teferi who slows the sunset. Two copies in uh, the fourth place list, and then another version of that deck in sixth, running just a single Teferi. Red White Heroic in fifth. Corvold Sacrifice making an appearance in seventh. And Lotus Field Combo, not completely to be counted out, showing up here in eighth place. So I played against the second place Green Fang, uh, Grease Fang Combo deck over the weekend, and you know, I, I knew the card was in the deck, but Rafine's Informant uh, being a four of just shows me how much this deck has to improve. It's a two mana common that has uh, yep. connives when it comes into play, and it's a two one. I mean, that card is only in there by necessity. And so, one of the you know my key takeaways of Liliana being reprinted, which I know we'll probably talk about in a bit, is you know this is one of those decks that really benefits it benefits from it because it's running cards like like this that have have no place in a shell that's second place consistently doing well uh, despite these type of common includes and so I'm excited to see what happens there. And the reason it's in there is they don't really want the body; they want the discard to get one of the key. Uh, vehicles into the yard right exactly that's a hundred percent and you know some early pressure the deck really doesn't have a lot going on on early turns and so it does give you a little bit of reach to deal with a problematic planeswalker if there doesn't have much defense but yeah that that's the only real reason it's in there is to get you that early discard gotcha uh, all right, so we can move on over to the top paper movers then. Lots of action over here. Fierce Guardianship out of Commander 2020, going from a whopping $70 to 92 Boy, if we could go back in time on that Black Friday sale where the Ikoria decks were, what, 5 for 120 mm-hmm. or something on Amazon? I bought a lot of those and stripped them and thought I was doing great making a quick 20%. Could have just held one card and made a hundred plus percent so yeah (laughs) uh, pretty the whole cycles it's pretty incredible to see how fast they've propelled people seem to think that whole cycle was going to show up in either commander legends battle for Baldur's gate or double masters 2022 but it showed up in neither and there's not a great slot for it anywhere in the rest of the year and if you look at next year's stuff there's not a great slot for it in any of those products either so if it dodges a reprint for another year and a half, this could be a very, very pricey commander uh, deck sourced card. Yeah, this could yeah, be absolutely. $100 to $120. I mean, look at Force of Will. Force of Will is very similar in profile um, in that, you know, it's a counter spell. It doesn't, you know, obviously a little different because it's played in Legacy, but, you know, seeing that go to the heights that it has um, despite some reprints. Um, you know, I think this the this could be a hundred and twenty dollar card easy, and we I think over the weekend saw a few copies sell at a hundred, and so um, it's it's kind of pushing the boundaries, and I think it'll continue as long as there's room. I this is one where we talk all the time about getting full or close to full credit from vendors if you trade in for store credit and not you know kind of picking your picking your exits to get really top value and not settling this is one i was able to cash out um, for eight copies of this on card kingdom for i believe it was 79 uh, 79 yeah 80 dollars um which 
I'm a TCD Direct vendor. I can sell those for probably $90 right now. So it's pretty much 100% uh, you know, value of my credit to U.S. dollars. So I was pretty happy about that. Yeah, fair enough. So then we've got Hopeful Initiate. This is the double feature uh, non-foil silver screen uh, frame. 9 to $12. That's going to be on the back of Standard and Pioneer Play for those 33% gains. We've got a couple of Griffins making waves here because a new Griffin Commander was spoiled from the box toppers for Dominaria United. Zuberi Golden Feather out of Mirage, 5 to 750, 50% gains there. Teferi, who slows the sunset because of all that action in the Pioneer Green deck, going from 4 to $6, just regular copies from Double Feature. Minskin Boo Borderless out of Commander Legends uh, Battle for Baldur's Gate, 12 to 18, 50% gains there. We were talking about this in the Discord today. I think you and I are on the same page that this looks legacy driven, but largely from the speculative angle. Yeah, I agree. It's I'm just not seeing it elsewhere. Uh, we saw this happen uh, a couple years ago with Ethereal Forager, which really made waves as a key four of um, in the Delver decks prior to Murktide being printed. And that did a similar thing where it went from, I think, about a dollar to eight dollars, all on legacy hype. And, you know, over time, that just slowly drains because uh, it goes down in price because legacy, it's, it's just not a format that can hold those type of premiums, uh, with the exception of very rare um, premium cards. Right. So I think Oko, uh, you know, foil extended arts, for example, I think part of those were because of uh, legacy and kind of eternal formats. Uh, because people want the best in those and they have the money to do it. But for these type of day-to-day, you know, high supply cards, it just can't really hold these prices for long. And the, and the use case in Legacy is something to do with sacrificing the Dark Depths 2020 token to their minus two ability so that you do deal 20 on the spot, right? That That's one example, but others are just straight value decks. Um, so some of them I've seen are just three or, co- three or four color good stuff playing this and Uro and some other things where... You know, it's, it's really in there for value. It's a snowball card where if it's not dealt with, it takes over the game, similar to what Jace the Mind Sculptor was previously, uh, but that has just become so um, much less relevant over time, especially as fire uh, Pyroblast and some of those, you know, kill any blue spell cards have gotten increased amount of play over time. Very curious to see whether this card can, can hold the current price points. I suspect it will not, and we'll probably check back in on that somewhere towards the end of the year. Uh, moving along, we've got Luxior Giada's Gift from Streets of New Capenna, Foil Extended Arts going from 13 to 20. It's in 5600 EA direct decks so far. There are a bunch of cards that are interesting with it that have been printed uh, since its release. And I can't remember what the card in Dominaria United was that jumped out uh, the hardest at me, but we were talking about it in the Discord last week. Yeah, try to place the name as well. And I can't, but it basically minus, it's a planeswalker, right? That minuses and uh, would add counters on itself to that. Jared, yeah. Jared, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it would make another creature bigger plus itself bigger into like a 12 12 and with additional loyalty based on the Giada uh, making it a, a creature. And that's adding counters, which is a, a nice little synergy. And I think there's going to be a lot of those little things where none of them 
you know, it really makes this an absolute all-star breakout card. But each one of those little small interactions over time which just could, could produce a little bit more pressure here, a little bit more pressure there, especially with it being a one mana artifact uh, that is colorless. So it's can pl be see play in any deck, can be found off Urza Saga, uh, and you know, just it's unlimited potential. And so assuming it doesn't get a you know premium reprint, which you know you never know these days, but uh, absent that. I think it just slowly will continue to see more and more play, and as a mythic, the supply should drain out over time. Yeah, it's a J yeah. Jared Carthalian is the is the commander deck lead, like the face card on the five color deck. So that's what we were referring to there. Griffin Canyon out of Visions nine to fifteen. It's a reserveless card, and it's the new Griffin Commander uh, that's driving that action. I would be pretty dubious about Griffins getting built pretty very heavily in EDH, so I would sell into that hype for sure if it was me. Doubling Season Foils out of Double Masters, not Double Masters twenty twenty two, but the one before, which is just about two years old now, going from hundred to hundred and eighty. Uh, two years since a reprint. It's a massive, massive EDH card. There's no shortage of reasons to be running it. Uh, lots of Super Friends uh, relevant cards printed this year. Attracts a scene of resurgence. So not tremendously surprised to see doubling season on the move. So is this for the borderless version? Uh, just double check here. I'm, I'm on the I'm on reg, uh, the regular foil, and it looks like there's a number of copies still for about a hundred, but the TCG Direct is all the way up to 200, so it might be um, skewing the data. Good flag. Uh, we got Lich's Mastery out of Dominaria. Foil's going from 3 to $8. That's because it's a combid, combo with the new Shieldred, which looks like it's going to be one of the top three mythics in Dominaria United. We've got Survivor's Encampment, a desert land from Hour of Devastation. Foil's going from 5 to 12 because they revealed a new desert-related commander. Uh, I feel that same way about that as I do about Griffins. I don't see a lot of people getting excited about a Desert Commander. Yeah, if I have to look up a card, you know, I I don't know all of them, but yeah, you look up a card and then you kind of look at it and say, that doesn't that doesn't seem like something people should be buying. You know, there's a lot of those out there. You know, people get cute. They want to be the smart one in the room and they go after something they think other people missed. And usually those are the ones that don't succeed, in my opinion, nine times out of ten. The box topper in question is Hazazon, Shaper of Sand, which is uh, Naya Colors. Human Warrior Legend 3-3 it has Desert Walk. You may play Desert Lands from your graveyard, and whenever a desert enters the battlefield under your control, you create two 1-1 red, green, and white sand warrior creature tokens. So yeah, you're definitely going to be playing Survivor's Encampment in that deck. The question is, think about how many Legends we're getting in this set, both in the set proper, in the commander decks, in the box toppers, only three or four of them can really drive big spikes on their own. And I don't think Hazazon is going to be one of them. I will say, looking at the charts for the foils, they have been going up really since last September, which is, uh, I think, probably just by virtue that there's not that many out there anymore. Uh, but that's a little bit um, encouraging that it's it's an organic demand that's been happening for a while now. Sure. Waker of Waves, foils out of M21, 5 to $12. That's a living and modern card that's usually played as a one of, if I'm not mistaken. 
Yeah. Spell Starter Sprite, Secret Layer. This is a foil borderless version of the Sprite going from 28 to just, there's just a single copy posted at $70 on TCG Player. This looks like a buyout as well, and it seems very likely to be driven by the reveal that we're getting a Return to Eldraine set in about a year. So the Dominaria United release slot for next fall is going to be uh, an Eldraine set. Presumably there's going to be a bunch of fairies in there, and so people went looking for fairy specs and found a secret layer from February 20, 2021 that had relatively low supply, and that's how, how you get a spike like that. Yeah, I think we're going to see these more and more often, honestly. Secret layers aren't, the oldest ones uh, aren't that new anymore, and so the ability is, and especially when they weren't being ordered at such high quantities, there's just not that much supply out there, and so for somebody to again think that have a little bit of confidence and going deep it can really just crush the supply in the short term uh, as these prices go up obviously other people will see that and flood back into the market and presumably drive it down a little bit but i do think this will be a emerging trend over time here finishing up the top paper movers we've got crackling drake foils out of guilds of ravnica three to eight dollars on the back of Pioneer Phoenix lists, if I'm not mistaken. And then Brave the Elements foils from M14 going $1.50 to $6, up 300% on the back of Pioneer Humans. I'll, I'll say this, that the trend line over the last few weeks has included quite a few more Pioneer cards than we were seeing even six months ago. Yeah, Pioneer's real. It, it really is. I, if you're watching Magic Twitter, the amount of deck lists being posted uh, in in paper uh, for people going to regional qualifiers and things like that uh, is light years beyond what it was, like you said, even six months ago. And if you look at even just our list here, uh, Hopeful Initiate's a great example where that card has no real strong demand, I don't believe. I haven't checked the EDH stats on it, but I don't I don't think that's a big card there. And so that that is really being driven by Pioneer specifically because Standard is not firing in person. Um, and so it's it's doing work. Um, and I can see, and I think, you know, one of the things to be thinking about over the next couple months is what do you need to get um, to to be set to play a lot of different decks in Pioneer if that's if that's where you want to be. And I think a perfect example is the the land base is still very affordable. And if it takes off like modern over the next couple of years, you know, you're, you're going to blink and these things are going to go up to 20 bucks a piece. You extrapolate that by 10 colors and, you know, a couple different variations, it can get expensive pretty quick. And so that's one thing that I did recently was just buy uh, borderless non-foil versions of all the Vow and um, AFR lands and things like that, that I just needed because I want to play the cards. You know, it's not a spec. Some of these have really deep supply, uh, but they also have a lot of sales. And so I think that's something we need to be thinking about as collectors uh, going forward. Alrighty, moving on over to the top Magic Online movers of the week. We start with Liliana of the Veil, Innistrad Edition, going from 14.4 ticks to almost 25 ticks, 70% plus gains on the back of that standard reprint hype. Magic Online is kind of your speciality. The... This is the kind of thing where you want to sell into that, right? Can she hold 25 plus? What are you expecting to happen there? So it's all about how, again, going back, it's all about Pioneer. Um, and so this is not necessarily standard hype as much as this is the first time Lily will be legal in Pioneer. And there are uh, a number of the top tier shells that really are already fairly dominant that are only going to get improved by this reprint. And so I think the sweet spot is holding until 
uh, it comes to Pioneer, which is that Wednesday uh, of release, but before the new wave of supply comes into the market, because then you can have the higher prices, the higher demand, people want to play with their new toys, but there isn't the increased supply. Uh, long term, whether or not it can you know, keep a high level, I think it'll dip because everyone drafts the first couple weeks. And then if it's successful, really the sky's the limit on this. If it's a four of and two or three archetypes that are top tier. Uh, but short term, it'll go up. Or it already has gone up. Then it'll dip. And then the future just depends on the, the play patterns. Fair enough. We've also got Obnixilis, the adversary out of Streets of New Capenna, going from 10.2 tickets to just about 19 ticks, 82% gains there on the back of Standard and Pioneer play, largely in black-red-related sacrifice decks. There are Corvold builds that run it. There are black-red straight builds that run it. And, uh, yeah, people haven't given up on this card entirely yet. It's still finding its way to competitive tables. Some of the pros are... are postulating whether or not this could be good with Liliana because um, they if you have less cards in their hand it makes it more effective in some ways I don't I personally I don't see that but you know they're pros so maybe they know better uh, but online one of the one of the in, unique things about online is there's redemption so you can actually for a short period of time get the online cards into in paper form if you redeem every single card in the set um, so right now a full set of Streets of New Capenna uh, is about 110 ticks, so about uh, $100 US. And right now, the EV of that, even on a buy list to CK Card Kingdom, is probably about 110. I just looked it up the other day. So the buy list is backed, backs any sort of redemption already. Uh, and of course, if you can sell at a premium uh, in a store or uh, online, you, you just make a straight profit of arbitrage there. And so that's part of the reason of Nixilis is starting to move up and be pressured is that it's coming up towards its redemption deadline, which means a dozen to two dozen copies are flowing out of the online system into paper cards over time, um, just creating you know some pressure each and every week on this and everything else in the set, including the triumphs. And that's because it's a mythic, yes, that the the mythics end up being the linchpins in the redemption. It, it does, uh, but it's not necessarily only the mythics. So if you look at Beseju in the last set, um, that hit about $50 online. Um, and there's a number of others. Um, currently, Ledger Sledder uh, and um, Unlicensed Hearse are both 30 ticks or more. And so it's not just... It's basically the cards that see play. Um, so the EDH cards really don't get hit on these prices but if it's seen play regularly as a three to four copy card in modern and pioneer or to a lesser extent legacy uh, it really drives up those prices any sort of competitive demand i'll have to take another look at the redemption option here because at minimum that's getting you a ledger shredder and obnixilis all five of the triomes and assorted other goodies so you, you you may well be able to justify getting a bunch of demi sets of Streets of New Capanna just by unloading five or six cards a little further down the road. Yep, and you do have to pay, it's like a $25 fee, I believe, for each set. Uh, so I think it goes from about 100, 100 US to 125, uh, but still I think the street value is close to 200 for the full set. So it's a pretty good deal right now, and I expect that to, that gap to narrow over the next couple months. Are they uh, are additional sets an ad another twenty five dollars? Because I know back down the road, I think each the first set was twenty five, and then each additional was plus five. 
So they changed that maybe a couple of years ago to be 25 for every set. And of course, Got people it. weren't happy, uh, but it's the, the one of many changes they've made to really restrict redemption. You used to be able to redeem sets for, I believe, two years, and then they scaled that back to a year and then down to six months. And so they've over time tried to make redemption still a backbone of the economy, but much less so than it has been in the past. Gotcha. So to finish up this list, top magic online movers, we've got Teferi, who slows the sunset out of Midnight Hunt, going from four to eight and a half ticks. That's 110% gains on the back of that Pioneer Green deck again. And then Fiend Artisan out of Ikoria went from 1.5 ticks to five plus, 230% plus gains on the back of a 5-0 standard list and uh, a legacy 14th place list uh, that I think was related to elves, wasn't it? Yeah, so there's been a few versions floating around online. Uh, this is an elf one, but it's seen one of or two of play elsewhere. But this one's a full four times in Legacy. Uh, and it's it's essentially a value creature in in, um, uh, in the elves build. I'm tr- I, I, I know I saw it online. I think the... Yeah, I mean, it can get you anything you need, honestly. I think some builds were trying to combo off with it. This looks like a more valueless, the 14th place one. Uh, but it seems like one person did well, and then people saw that and continued to try different things with it. And so uh, this, I think the initial um, bubble was more on the legacy success, uh, just because standard is rotating and you know not a lot of people are following it. But um, I think there's there could be something here, uh, and you know the interesting thing is people pointed out the new Tarmogoyf, I uh, can't remember the name of it in Dominar United, and really what it is, is is a worse version of Fiend Artisan, which is a pioneer legal card. So that uh, Urborg Goyf uh, in Dominaria, I don't think is going to see much play because Fiend Artisan just does what it does, but better. Honestly, fair enough. So let's move on to the cards to watch for the week. I'll jump into my first selection here. I'm looking at Grist the Hunger Tide, Borderless Foil out of Modern Horizons 2. We are down to just 30 listings on TCG Player, relatively steep ramp, no major walls. And while there are still plenty of uh, distribution points uh, throwing booster boxes of Modern Horizons 2 around this summer, I, I haven't heard tell of collector booster uh, boxes being distributed in waves anywhere for quite some time, uh, certainly not widely distributed. And as such, the most premium cards, the most in-demand cards from those boxes are starting to creep up. I think Grist as a borderless foil is actually one of the ones that you can get in set booster boxes as well, but at a very low drop rate, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not good with the numbers of the set boosters, honestly. But uh, the the I've been watching the collector boosters very closely, and those were climbing steadily. And then Amazon saw a reprint of that, not a reprint, uh, a kind of dump of um, cheaper stock in June. Um, presumably a pallet in their warehouse or two. It went pretty quickly, but it did drop the price from an average of about 430 uh, to 360 on on TCG Player for the collector booster displays. And since then, they've just continued to recover. They're almost up to 410 per unit again. And uh, I personally own um, a very large stock of them because I think they're going to approach 500 in the pretty uh, reasonable future uh, based on, you know, you have the 
you have things like grist, which you know originally were you know kind of throw-ins, but they're going to continue to accrue value and get to be pretty expensive. Uh, obviously, the elementals are huge value. Ragavan uh, being a top-tier EDH staple and uh, modern staple, uh, all these cards, they're just going to continue to to drain out in their premium versions and continue to do well over time, in my opinion. So I'm calling the Grist borderless foils to go from about 25 or 26 up to 45 in about a year. It's uh, looking for 70% plus gains there. It's a three or a, two, three or four of, depending on the builds uh, of, in Yawgmoth combo in modern. It's also an 8,000 EDH rec decks. Uh, it's a very unique planeswalker because it counts as an insect when it's not in play. Uh, it can be your commander, if I'm not mistaken. And the there are a bunch of use cases for it that do not exist for other commanders. Yep. And I mean, for it, other, sorry, for other planeswalkers. Right. And, you know, I think what could really break this card wide open, which is highly speculative, but if Green Sun Zenith comes to modern, which I think there's a good chance it could in the future, that finds this card, which makes it much more in demand, especially um, in this premium version where you only probably need one or two for the deck for searching purposes. Uh, and so if that ever happened, I could see Grist blowing up to, you know, 60 plus dollars. Collected Company hits this too, right? It does, yep. But I, I haven't seen that use case. Uh, bottom line, this is the borderless foils look a lot better than the showcase. That sketch art is not well regarded and they go for under $10. Um, I might be considering the regular copies of this card, but there's still hundreds of those lying around. So I don't think this is the timeline for it. Whereas being down under 30 listings usually gets my attention for a card that's only a year old. Yeah, and it's been stable at its current price for a while, which for a set like this that's only been out for a little over a year, that's that's the place you want to be. You want to hit that late, mid, you know, middle to late of the plateau right before it starts climbing where there's still enough supply that you can get you know, however many quantities you want. Something like this, you know, some people will buy a play set. I'll buy maybe 8 to 12 copies um, just because I think it is a, a solid choice and a very little risk, uh, especially because of the price stability. And then store them away, come back in a year or two, and you should be golden. And there's absolutely nothing in the product lineup that was revealed since last week when we didn't know what that lineup looked like that seems to have any chance of reprinting this card. The only place I would imagine it could possibly show up would be a secret layer, and that seems unlikely. Yeah, I can, and I could see it, honestly, in a commander deck in a basic version. Um, you know, it's an interesting card. It's a little complicated, uh, but... You, you, don't see a, you don't see a lot of mythic reprints. Right, mythic, mythic or planeswalkers, honestly. Um, yeah. You know, not complicated planeswalkers. And yeah, now that I'm thinking about it, this is very complicated, which is, you know, very... It would, it would be terrible for a new player to have to deal with. So that wouldn't make sense either. So there's, yeah, there's not a lot of good places to reprint this. And even if the Yawgmoth deck falls off a cliff, I mean, this is such a unique effect. Uh, and it's a three mounted Planeswalker, which as we all know, are insanely powerful in general and are very flexible. So if it's not in Yawgmoth, it'll probably find a home elsewhere. And even if it doesn't, it does see one of play here and there which you know isn't enough for the basic version but for a premium version could be enough to continue the pressure so let's talk about your first selection here this is actually an old selection of mine from march of 2021 where i called the card to go 45 to 80 and instead it ended up in our year-end review as one of my worst selections of the year and has since gone from 45 to 27 
instead of going to 80. But I think you have found the bottom here. So tell me about this. Yeah, so Vandal Blast is, I actually heard, I won't name the podcast, but I heard somebody else basically refer to it as bulk when they were referring to the upcoming secret layer that'll be at uh, Magic 30 in Las Vegas, uh, which we'll talk about here in a second. But uh, Vandal Blast is a, is a top 100 card. It has seen incredible play. And what made me look more closely at it is that I, I have a big stack of old boater non-foils sitting around and you know i posted them on tcg player uh, a year ago at a price point that i thought was probably unreasonable but you know hoping that it would get there uh and they did they're selling for seven eight nine dollars a piece for just a basic uh old border non-foil and so i looked at based on that I, I took a look back at these foil versions which as you said were, were doing really well then more times so mastered product came in they got, you know, re the, the old border concept got hit again in Modern Horizons 2, and they started to struggle. Well, they, they've hit their lows. They went down to uh, about $28, $30 as their low, and now they've started to bounce back. And um, they bounce back, and the supply has really dwindled. Uh, they're down to only 13 near-mint vendors on TCG Player with no one having more than a few copies, most of them with just one. Uh, and if you look at Card Kingdom, the buy list is uh, up to $35 cash uh, and obviously more for credit. And so that is a very good place to be when the TCG price for a near mint low is basically cash price. And if you look over in Europe, the prices are even cheaper. It's down to about $28, $27 uh, US on Magic uh, Card Market. Or, yeah, Magic Card Market. And so. Um, Based on that, if you can buy it in the EU, it's strict arbitrage. Uh, being able to cash in right away to CK buy list. I mean, they're only taking a handful of copies, so probably uh, an approach that you know only a few people could take of for the buy list. But flipping them onto TCG Player, another US site, uh, so it should certainly lead to a profit uh, in the short term and definitely over the long term. Yeah, I thought by your listing here that there was $27 copies on TCG Player, but then I noticed the EU region designation and your explanation of card market makes a lot more sense. It hasn't really slid that much on TCG Player. It's just kind of held steady while draining out copies, which is uh, an interesting scenario every time I see it. 13 listings left on TCG Player, no major walls at all, and a very steep ramp aiming up towards my original goal of 80. You've got 27 to 45 here, and that's a quick flip option. But if it's me... I if it's me, I'm probably holding for another six months waiting for these to drain out and end up and go after the original target. Yeah, and I have one copy currently, and that is listed on TCG Player for, I believe, 60 uh, which I think I priced a while ago when it was still um, down at its lows around 30 So I was aiming for a double up, but I think getting to... 80 even i mean honestly the, the sky is the limit on these um, old border foils if you look at the cards that are seen play um it, even either a lot of edh a silence for example uh called that in one of my articles recently I, i've been selling uh, silenced old border foils for 60 all day uh on tcg player and that's you know a card that yeah it sees a lot of play it's in fifty thousand decks uh, but I would have never expected people to be willing to pay $60 for that, honestly, um, especially after everything the old border foils went through over the last year. So I think they, these are all starting to turn around uh, pretty much across the board. Uh, I keep records of the number of vendors for each of these cards, the average price and all of that for the, the old border foils because I've, I've been interested in them for a while. 
uh, and the trends are stark. They started great, they hit their lull, and most of them, that, that C player, are starting to come back. And so I think there could be more picks of those on the cast in the future as well. There really isn't anywhere where I see a premium Vandal Blast getting printed in the next year, but we don't know for the standard sets what kind of subsets might be on offer. It's not a crazy card for them to include a premium borderless version of, in say, Brothers War, if they had some relevant subset of cards that was being offered in the collector boosters or something. That's the asterisk I was going to come back to. Is um, I don't know if you saw, but the Secret Layer has a foil Vandal Blast, but it's that terrible art. Yes, I I can't. I I would pay less for it, not more. I actually think that's insurance in some ways because it be it catching that reprint probably bans it from Secret Layer for the year, and that's the one I would have been worried most about a foil borderless version there's some chance that they could print it in dominaria remastered but because it was in times bio remastered i would imagine it doesn't easily make that list either so especially since we know there's old borders coming back in that set so all told i think this is very well positioned right now and that secret layer version is trash uh, very unlikely to be a preference. The regular versions are going to continue to get printed in Commander decks once or twice a year, but that's not really what we're talking about here. We're talking about the best version of the card, and for now, it looks like it's in the clear. Yep, and and the cheaper versions, uh, the old border non-foils that I've referenced, those I am absolutely exiting because I, I assume Vandal West will continue to get reprinted over and over again. Um, and yeah, they, they can continue to climb, but I'll take my gains on those and, and run. But these foils, I think, uh, you know, over time, they're just going to keep appreciating the value. All right. My next selection is Karn the Great Creator. I'm talking about uh, another retro border here, the Retro Planeswalker frame, which is very unique. It was a secret layer drop last year, and it's just a wall of text on a fairly good looking Karn with a lovely old border. And there's no foil version of this. They only made them a non-foil, I think, because they were sensitive to reprinting Teferi, uh, uh, three-mana Teferi, alongside this, which was one of the other Planeswalkers in the set, in a foil so soon after giving us stained glass and promo versions, etc. And these are sitting around $23 at present, but this is a... Karn the Great Creator is in 21,000 decks on EDH Rack. It's a four of in Pioneer and in Modern in various decks. It's uh, in Modern in Green Tron, and I just saw Aspiring Spike running a combo build that was using it to go get a Magistrate Scepter and put a bunch of counters on the Scepter and then take it into infinite turns. Uh, that was doing well on YouTube this week. It shows up in Legacy here and there. It's a cube card. It's a pretty big deal, this Karn the Great Creator, because he gets to go to your sideboard and pull cards in to play and also messes uh, with your opponent's artifacts. And both of those things are fairly unique and very powerful. And we're down to something like, let's see here, 28 listings, no major, major walls. There's some sevens eights tens but those versions are already up over 30 bucks and i would expect that over the next year these are going to drain down and this is going to go from low mid 20s to 40 dollars plus 
Yeah, as you've been talking, I went in, I realized I'm the only major wall currently on TCG Player for this. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's several folks with, uh, you know, four copies. I think one has 10. I have 21, and I'm so I'm the... I'm the major major wall, and I just moved my price up. So, so, so uh, <laughs> suffice to say that at the time of the drop, you also agreed with me. I did. Yeah, I, this is this was an easy one to go in on, honestly. And you know, uh, secret layers. I used to buy most of them, or at least a significant portion of them. And um, as they've increased the number of quantity that you can buy, I've I've ended up scaling back um, uh, only to the best ones, but. This one, I mean, it was a no-brainer, right? You have Teferi, which was, you know, is an incredible planeswalker. It's unfortunate that it's banned in Pioneer um, as a control player and it, from Magic uh, Finance perspective. Uh, but Teferi is, is does the best thing at what it does. Uh, so is Karn, the Great Creator. It is a unique planeswalker that gives you a wishboard that makes it both flexible and um, honestly uh, more fun uh, in a lot of ways. You can make the game what you want. Uh, you can design it, your wishboard in the way that you want, and you're always going to get new tools to try out uh, whenever artifacts are printed. And so this one will continue to grow as long as it's not reprinted. That said, they for whatever reason, they seem to love to print this card uh, between the stained glass and the Japanese version and the this old border. So I hope they're done with it. They've gotten enough premium versions out there for uh, for a very long time. Uh, but I do love that this is non-foil because although this is an EDH card in 20,000 decks, I primarily view it as a competitive card. And, you know, as a competitive player, I've, I tend to like non-foils. I think many others do too, just so they can't have issues with judges. And so I think the fact that it is non-foil really adds to it uh, rather than detracts. And there is twice as much inventory on the Teferi as there is for the Karn at present. So it would suggest that the, the demand on Karn is is extra heavy. Yeah, and I'm going to look up. I'm curious how Dak Faden is doing because he was part of this drop. It looks like he's down to uh, $8, 850 or so. I'll be curious yeah, without, if he bounced back. Without looking, I was going to guess 10 uh, and I, I'm not a fan of the art on that deck compared to the Ravnica Allegiance Mythic Edition art. I think that's the easy, easily the best deck art. Um, but yeah, Karn the Great Creator. How about your next one? Let me pull it up. So we talked earlier about um, Luxier Giada's Gift, which was a borderless foil mythic for uh, about, started at 13, moved to 20, uh, this is a similar kind of card. It's a borderless foil mythic from the same set, uh, but the price is actually lower and it's in more EDH decks. Uh, so this is in about 9,000 decks, which is about twice as much as uh, Luxier, and it's the number one EDH inclusion in all of Streets of New Capenna. Uh, that said, I think it is. It was a hyped card, and so it had a, you know it started out high, it crashed. Uh, pretty low, and you know I think it's one that might languish for a while. Uh, so I'm recommending it as a slow buy, something you can buy over time. But I don't think this is the type of card that is instantly going to see you know big combo because it has a lot of safety valves and kind of explode out of nowhere. I think you have a lot of time on this. You can slowly buy some over time as you see a good price here and there. Uh, but it is a unique card. It gets played. It does well. It's a borderless foil mythic, and so. 
I think, you know, seven, eight, nine, ten dollars is probably the the lowest price this can possibly drop. Uh, because it is seen play, and over the long term, it'll only just slowly increase uh, over time. So I put it as nine dollars to twenty dollars, about a hundred percent increase. I think that's very reasonable, and obviously it could go grow much more than that if something comes out that makes it uh, highlighted, like in Command Zone or something like that, that puts a spotlight on the card. Yeah, what we're really waiting for here is something to complement Jetmir and Ginny Fay some other token-related commander that really wants to be running Halo Fountain. And if that commander can hold a top five slot in the commander meta for a couple months, then you'll see some motion on these for sure. First of all, the art's gorgeous. This is some of the best art in the set. The foil borderless uh, looks amazing in hand. I bought a bunch of these in Japan, very cheap. Um, So I'm definitely in on the spec. And these started pretty high. I think foils were on pre-order at something like $45. And now we're getting them at eight bucks. So definitely worth waiting for the correct entry here. Relatively niche card, doesn't see any competitive play. And that's why it was able to collapse under the weight of the standard print run. Yeah, and to contrast it, and I did get in a little early, I was at a conference board and decided to jump in on a very large uh, brick of um, professional facebreaker foil extended arts. And those have fallen to about the same price but um you know those of course are just a rare uh, but they see you know a tremendous amount of play even more than the triumphs but that's kind of the comparison to me is if if this it's a foil extended art or foil borderless mythic um you know is the same price as professional face breaker which sees a ton of play um you know it's a pretty good place to be i think it's you know they're both cheap relative to their amount of play but they're um comparably i think right about where they should be my next selection is straight out of the same collector booster packs i'm talking about rafine's tower borderless we all knew these triumphs were going to be specs the question was when were they going to get cheap enough to jump in because unlike ikoria where they were widely underestimated um everybody knew what was what when we got the second half of this two years later and so they came out of the gate hot they stayed pretty high and right now these foil borderless rafines towers are still 40 dollars. whereas i was picking up the icoria uh, foil borderless especially in japan and in europe around 15 dollars at this same kind of juncture out from the print run and so I've been hoping it's going to get down, but instead of it going down, I'm just seeing it drain out. And that's an entirely different matter. We're down to just 22 listings. Keep in mind that these collector boosters are only four months old. And 22 listings with no major walls says that all that can really happen here is that the gaming company or somebody similar does a mass crack job and drops 30 copies or something into this. But they're not as easy to pull as they were in Ikoria. When you, could, when you were opened an Ikoria Collector Booster box, you had a pretty decent chance somewhere between three and four uh, of, the, of the borderless uh, lands, and a couple of them would be foil, generally speaking. But I just opened a uh, SNC Collector Booster box today that I got for 135 online, and I, I mentioned a few episodes back that I thought that was too cheap. And I didn't pull any. No non-foil borderless, no foil borderless, like zero. Now, I got lucky. I pulled three led- Ledger Shredder in the same box, uh, a foil 
copy and extended art and a foil extended art, so I'm not complaining. But it just goes to show that there's a reason these are draining out this quickly because they're selling pretty steadily. You see them on TCG Player selling a small handful of copies per day, and they are already in something like 20,000 plus decks on EDH Rec. They end up as onesie twosie cards in cubes and in standard, pioneer, modern. Uh, various decks need to pull a try land at some point and they run a, a copy or two. And with 30% of all Esper decks running this in the EDH community and just 22 listings and them being so hard to find in the CBs, I, I don't think we want to wait any longer for these to drop. I think you just want to go ahead and get them at 40 and look to exit somewhere between 60 and 70 down the road. And in the meantime, throw them in a deck and enjoy them. Yeah, I think the worst that happens here is it drops to 30 if you know gaming company or somebody like that opens up a pretty big wall. Uh, this isn't the type of card that's going to fall to 25 or 20. Um, and so your backstop is pretty... Uh, reasonable and after that you know once the they're a year another year out and it's pretty clear that there's no more pallets waiting to be cracked I think these will just continue to rise and you know I, I don't think 60 5 70 even 80 over time could be unreasonable for these uh, but 60 is absolutely reasonable it's a question of whether you know you get greedy after that point and, and wonder you know if shadow spirit can be um you know, 80 for a foil extended arc and these two because they are very popular. Um, but that's a problem for another day. Well, and there was a magic stream last week where, which we should talk about here in the weekly topics, I suppose. And the one of the discussion points was that the pain lands, which are showing up in Dominaria uh, United, took a long time to catch a reprint because they can only print them on Dominaria because they all reference locations on Dominaria. And these Tri-Lands have the exact same problem. That's true. Do the Triomes, is that... I, yes, I'm they not, do. Yeah, I assume so. Because they, they reference things like Rogren. Right, right. And And so because of that, you're only going to see them in generic premium sets down the road. Like, it's a huge win for Wizards with, 20, you know, Double Masters 2026 or something to throw these all back in there. You know, one half of the five, like probably starting with the Ikoria ones and then double back to these like for 2028 or something. But that means the the premium versions of these are probably going to get a long time to mature. Yeah, I for everything these days, it seems like you got to get out within two to three years for a new fresh print i think and after that you're just begging for a reprint to to smack you across the face um you know it's one of those things where it used to be you know if it was a scare card you could wait four or five six years but it just seems like the bottom line short term is more important to wizards and you know i think a perfect example which we'll hop into is the newest secret layer they have a sword in it they have sword of truth and justice which is a um, spending re reprint equity in a way that they really haven't done before. I mean, swords were something that was off limits, except in premium products, you had to really um, kind of work for it and the price point would stay very high. And this is the second reprint that Sword of Truth and Justice has gotten between this and the uh, Modern Horizons 2 reprint of the MH1 cards. And so you look at something like that and it was safe. It went from nine or ten dollars to twenty-five. You had your window and you still honestly it's still very expensive, but you know, i wouldn't want to push my luck on something like that when you know they've showed a willingness to keep keep reprinting these cards. So yeah, take so your I mean, window you could, when you can. 
Yeah, you could see Trilands in a secret layer in a couple of years. Yeah. That, that's kind of the ever-present threat for most most fancy cards since they're willing to do a lot of borderless foils with new art there uh, that could become much preferred. But the thing is, with just 22 listings left, by the time, even if that was a year from now, that would be addressing a hollow market. So it would be well-received and start to take off like a rocket ship almost immediately thereafter. Yep, you can't live in fear of the reprint. You just have to plan around it. So I love this where you buy it now, you get two years, you dump it. And if they reprint it, you do it all over again. Okay, so moving on over to our weekly topics, we got a lot to plow through here, so we'll try to do our best to move through it briskly. There was a big magic reveal stream um, in between this episode and our last. And on that stream, Wizards employees showed off pretty much the full product slate for the rest of this year and into 2023, all the way to winter of 2023 so presumably right up to the holidays a year and four months from now and we know that we've got dominaria united coming out uh early in september and then in november we've got the brothers war and they've revealed now that the rest of that arc is all to do with battling the phyrexians so in the q1 slot we've got phyrexia all will be one then in the april slot we've got march of the machine and then March of the Machine, the Aftermath, which is also slotted for spring. So I'm curious whether we're going January, March, May with those releases. Um, and then I think we have the Lord of the Rings straight to modern set, which might as well be called Modern Horizons 3 uh, in the summer slot. And then Wilds of Eldraine is the aforementioned uh, Eldraine set that comes out in September, presumably, of 2023. And then the Lost Caverns of Ixalan, a return to that block, will be in the pre-holiday slot. Returning to Ixalan, <laughs> I, you know, it, it took them, what, 15 years or however long to go to Kamigawa? And Ixalan gets it right again, even though I don't people people didn't like that set. I, I don't know how they how they work that in and who are advocating for that. <laughs> and, and 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 interestingly, like Eldraine was one of the most po- powerful slash busted standard sets of all time, but it's not beloved for its story or even its setting. Yeah, and and you have the disappointment where they inevitably tone it down, uh, and then yeah. people are upset they're not, they're because... not going to want to ban six cards out of it again. Right, we're gonna we're gonna have a, a weak Eldraine and a broken Ixalan because they're trying to overcompensate for for both errors. <laughs> I'll tell you the theme that jumps out at me the hardest here is that specs related to artifacts look very good heading into the next twelve months. We've got four sets back to back all of which relate to artifacts. Presumably, the Brothers War, Phyrexia, all will be one. March of the Machine has got to have a pretty strong artifact theme. And then March of the Machine, the Aftermath. I mean... I I hope they do it well. Um, you know, we have the blue blue blueprints, which are already foreshadowing the fact that artifacts matter and, and they're going to be focused on that inventions and and kaladesh was you know really peak uh premium magic and i think you know they have the opportunity here with with these sets to really do perfect 
execution, make a ton of money, and make players happy at the same time, and make their staples for the regular basic copies cheaper. And I, so it's kind of a win-win if they do it right. And yeah, I think I think artifacts in particular, I, uh, I'm excited, but I'm also leery of buying into any until we know um, more about what's coming. But you know, once they're out there, I think it'll provide a ton of avenues for you know entering specs. Uh, and especially premium things if they include them, which would be nice. A couple of things further on that topic. One is that Marrow has said that they're going to move towards more colored artifacts. And indeed, we've seen things like Halo Phantom's a white artifact, Bootlegger Stash is a green artifact. And we're seeing a lot of that. So I expect more of that. So I don't think we're just only dealing with colorless cards here. But when you have artifact-heavy themes, you're going to get a higher percentage of colorless cards, just straight artifacts. And... Straight artifacts, your things like your Mox Ambers, uh, tend to be in a position to become better specs because they just naturally have more homes. And they have a propensity to be included in a wider swath of EDH decks. And if you can identify a staple that's going to go into most of a whole bunch of EDH decks, something like a Jeweled Lotus, that's where you have the the ability for a card to truly skyrocket. I mean, foil extended art jeweled lotuses have challenged $800 in the first two years of release. So I will not be surprised to see something come out of these sets that's in that range of activity, somewhere between a Mox Amber and a jeweled lotus. We were hoping to see it in Dominaria United. So far, I don't think we have. They did reveal that that lotus we'll talk about shortly that I think is good, but not amazing. And... I don't know. I mean, this, this looks like a very strong product slate, but we're also headed into a recession. But Magic has weathered recessions well in the past as a uh, impulse purchase uh, long-term hobby. So it's going to be a very interesting winter and spring, I think, for Magic the Gathering in 2023. Yeah, and going back to the artifacts, uh, having colors... You know, as as with everything Maro says, it, it is till it isn't. Um, and you know, you look at Luxier's gift, you look at the timeless lotus that we're going to talk about here. Uh, when Watsi wants to make something good, viable, um, they they're still willing to do the uh, colorless version as long as the card itself is a little bit more narrow in application. And so, you know, I think that's the same with Luxier and and the Timeless Lotus is that they don't go into every deck. And so, you know, I think what we have to hope for is that they either make a mistake or they need a flagship card that, um, you know, they, they kind of are willing to push the envelope a little bit um, and knowing that it could cause them problems in the future. Uh, or alternatively, that um, the niche and narrow like Mox Amber uh, is so narrow but powerful that it's inevitable to get there regardless. All right, so let's move on over to some of the other big news this week. eBay, e-commerce powerhouse of the last generation, buys TCGplayer.com for $295 million. Big, big news. <laughs> And I'm yeah. sure as as a major TCG vendor, I, I would imagine you would be concerned because the the issue here is that this, in theory, narrows competition. This is eBay biting off a rising competitor just before they turn the corner 
and start dealing with sports cards, comic books, video games, potentially toys. I mean, they're basically building the business that I was building 10 years ago um, on a much, you know, much earlier part of the process. And there's several steps down the road further than we ever got with Shelf Life. But I fully understand the entire dynamic that's going on here because when we were planning Shelf Life, we were absolutely looking to get bought by eBay one day and they got there. So congrats to Chetty and the team. And it should be a pretty good exit for everybody that's got uh, Kitty in the pool since last I checked, they had about $50 million in overall investment to date. And a $300 million price tag means some pretty good returns for anybody who had a solid chunk of shares. Yeah, I'm sure financially it was a reasonable, um, I mean, they, everything they were doing seemed to point in this direction, right? They were trying to raise capital, they were trying to scale, they were doing all these different things and increasing fees and increasing profitability to make themselves look attractive to a buyer from everything I've seen. So I'm not surprised, but I what I worry about is, you know, what's next? Um, you know, they're, they're certainly not, like you said, going to be competitive even if they stay separate and the ceo of tcg player said that they're going to remain a separate entity at least for now um you know who knows how long these things last but if a i i I really don't like the ebay platform i know many people in the same boat and so if there was any integration between the two i think that's a downside in general regardless of competition Uh, but more importantly you know it's with scg having or Star City Games having challenges, Channel Fireball folding, now this. I mean, it is a number of dominoes falling away. <laughs> well, that... Channel Fireball being owned by eBay now. Well, yeah, yeah, exactly. So <laughs> Vis-a-vis the purchase of through TCG Player. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, hopefully, innovate, you know, lack of competition either strangles competition or breeds innovation. And so I'm always an optimist in that regard. When there's money to be made, if if the um, product that comes out of this is insufficient for the market, I do think it will breed others to come in and innovate and um, take over a segment of that to either fix the rungs or to hopefully take over part of the market share. And so I'm not concerned in any way, but it is, it is unfortunate. And I, even if those events had to unfold, it would take time. And so there'd be, you know, a a time when maybe the, the product isn't great and you really can't go anywhere else until somebody comes in to innovate and shake up the market. Yeah. And I would say that TCG player is a good platform but they're not a great platform. And the reason that they're not great in this era is that they have not, they never cracked the integration of social media with their model. So when we, even 10 years ago, when we were planning out Shelf Life, we were already looking at the opportunity to um, have social media interactions drive a lot of the traffic and sticky factor on the site. The idea that you want the users to be hanging out on your platform, not just transacting on your platform. Because when I go to TCG Player, I'm in and out in five minutes. I don't do anything else there. And you're going to make a lot more money as a platform if you can figure out how to get me to hang around because then you can be shipping me offers, you can be cross-pollinating me to brands I don't know about yet, but that are likely to have overlapping Venn diagrams of interest. You can show me ads, you can upsell me, you can do a bunch of different stuff, and they don't do any of that very well. So, And the funny thing is, eBay doesn't either. So for, for eBay to be buying another platform that was basically just following in their footsteps 
um, doesn't bridge the gap to the kinds of things people are trying to do on social-driven commerce platforms. Um, the kind of money that gets made through brand uh, partnerships on Instagram, for instance, has nothing to do with anything that's going to come out of this deal. And I don't see there being expertise on either side of this, this contract that helps them get to that stage. So there's still, in my mind, uh, absolutely a gap in the market between what the up, especially the younger collectors coming up that are in their late teens, early 20s, are going to expect from the collectibles platform of the future versus what is likely to come out of this. I think the most likely outcome is that we're going to see higher fees, <laughs> one or 2% more per year, probably, uh, at minimum. There could be some technology sharing that goes on that could be of benefit to vendors and or buyers. Um, eBay has worked on a bunch of visual identification to list uh technologies so that you can just take a picture of something you want to sell and instantly have it listed. There's room for that to save vendors a bunch of time down the road. Uh, on the other hand, TCG Player has direct and a process like a process pipeline that is probably almost certainly of interest to eBay because it has some overlap with what they've been doing with validating high-end collectibles like running shoes and video games and stuff. Uh, and that they've recently introduced on the TCG side. So I would guess that it's going to take them... I mean, eBay does not move fast. So I would imagine you won't see major changes on the TCG platform that that uh, unfold as integration with eBay systems or anything for at least six months. It's, it's probably quite the project. I do have a little niggling bug in the back of my mind that despite what was suggested in the press release, which is that the platform is going to be run pretty much as is, there is some chance that eBay is only interested in certain technologies or people on that team and that they might gut the whole thing and shut it down. It would not be at all the first time in the technology sphere and the e-commerce sphere where I've seen a big fish come in, eat a little fish, take the, the pieces of the fish they think are important, and then just eliminate that potential competitor. But if they see it as an a alternative to their brand that addresses a different segment then they are more likely to support and grow it as opposed to fold it in to the eBay platform. I'm not sure 100% yet which way they are likely to go, but I'm very curious to see where we end up 6, 12, 18 months down the road. Yeah, I think I think part of that is looking at the back-end numbers and seeing how profitable TCG Player really has been um, and what type of value they got in that purchase agreement. If TCG Player's doing fine but you know has a pe of whatever you know 15 or 20 i think it's much more likely to fold up shop take what you want and, and roll it over but if tcg player is doing you know pretty solid earnings each year over their costs and you know have a pe of you know, eight nine I, I think it's hard to fold that up um, when it's you know running comfortably at least in the short term long term anything's possible but we'll see I'm certainly not excited about the prospect that they might roll up TCG Player because the last thing I want is all of you very fine uh, folks that are vendors over on TCG Player coming to play in my garden over on eBay. 
if if we could get best of both worlds obviously that'd be ideal so for example like you mentioned the the uh, accreditation or grading essentially of, of the 75 or $750 cards or more on eBay is something I would love to see come over to, to TCG player because the more that you can stabilize those high-end cards in the high-end markets and drive out uh, people that are you know putting up fake cards or you know things like questionable listings the more you bring confidence to that high-end market um, because right now um, I sell a direct and so you have TCG back in you that's fine uh, but for a lot of people that's not the case and all you need is you know shipping an $800 card to have a fraud claim and they you know mail back a, a fake to TCG for evaluation and you have a you know their word against mine on your hands it's a challenge so I think that those type of incremental improvements um, that eBay's already doing that they could cross over to TCG very easily would be great to see um, the you know if they could take some of the money that they're making off this and improve the catalog of the index so that when you search a card and you can find the borderless and the sketch and the you know old border foil all in one search that'd be nice right it's a very basic thing that tcg hasn't been able to manage yet um so that'd be nice but I, you know it all depends on whether the platform is going to be there in two years whether they want to make those type of investments the funny thing is that ebay doesn't do indexing very well either they have a reasonably strong search because they have a huge team and they spend a lot of money but the when we were building shelf life we we were looking to create a data spine that was the in the encyclopedia of every collectible ever made by brand and release and product etc all the way down to you know in the case of things like lego individual bricks so that once you have that superstructure in place you can roll it up and pour it out anytime you want and it makes the whole search process much more dynamic and likely to yield the correct results and also allows you to do things like automatically match buyers and sellers which is something neither of these two platforms do well you know, like ebay ebay allows me to send somebody an offer you can't even do that on tcg player so but what should actually happen is when somebody is is searching for something the, you should show them all the alternatives as well and show them the hottest deal amongst the alternatives and propose to either or or both parties to spend a little more, discount a little, a little more to close a deal. Because the platform that can figure out how to create those bridges between buyers and sellers most effectively is going to be the platform with the highest profitability. Yeah, and you know, I work in uh, kind of a government relations space, which is a similar space in that for many years the technology was just awful. It was it was god awful, but your choice was worse or even worse. And so everyone got along and you know spent tons of money on these products, tens of thousands of dollars on these products that no one would recommend except that they have to because it's the the best thing out there. Uh, then came along a couple of people from MIT who were recent grads. They knew there was a gap in the market. And within four or five years, they really took over. And they went from you know a team of like seven or eight to a team of, I think, 100, um, all because they had a product that was new. It did what it did. It wanted to do well. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful. I, again, I'm, I'm trying to be an optimist. I'm hopeful that somebody can do that here. It should have been you, James. But uh, if it can't be you, we'll take somebody else. 
it's it's going to end up being a team of 22-year-olds. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's what I've, I've experienced, yeah. That have grown up already seeing things like Amazon, eBay, even Instagram as being old people stuff. And they're going to figure out what the dynamic next thing is. There's already a few products out there that, you know, we've talked about in the Discord that are trying some of this, but I don't think any of them has nailed it yet. Because the ones that are are ephemeral that only exist in the moment they miss the long tail you know like if you pull somebody into into a 20 minute buying frenzy you need to have a way to support that person you want to track their collection you want to make recommendations you want to help them push them into other parts of the venn diagram and that requires a platform that is not just in the moment i think what you really want say 10 years down the road is a platform that also has a moment-to-moment component. It's it's live streaming sales, but it's backed by an extremely strong data spine that allows ridiculous levels of micro-capitalism. <laughs> and, and that the collectors acknowledge and support that because it makes it because of quality of life. It makes everything they do easier. Easier to research what you want to buy or sell easier to explore new things, easier to get data to support decisions, etc. All right, so we'll definitely be digging back deeper on that as uh, news comes to the forefront and eBay makes announcements about potential changes to TCG Player. In the meantime, let's switch over to talking about some of these new cards that have been revealed for Dominaria United. We're going to do a full set review in the next couple of weeks, so I'm not going to get too deep here, but I do want to flag the three mythics to start with that I think are the most important mythics in the set, at least from what we've seen so far. First of all, we're getting a Liliana of the Veil reprint. Kind of a no-brainer. This should get pushed down into, I would guess, mid-20s. Somewhere between 20 and 30 is where I would imagine this will settle, depending on how much play it sees in Standard and Pioneer right off the bat. The modern play pattern is already kind of established as being lesser than it was five years ago. And so what really matters here, uh, given that this is not a a massive EDH card, is what's going to happen with Standard and Pioneer. If there's enough four of play of Liliana, as you said, across five or six major decks in those two formats, then it could be the kind of mythic that ends up being 30 to 50 and not 20 to 30. Uh, if it sees almost no play in those formats, at least for some period of time, these could get very cheap. They could be fifteen to twenty dollars. Yeah, I, I agree. Planeswalkers aren't what they used to be. You used to have a planeswalker, and if it saw even a modicum of play, it would stay expensive. Now that's just not the case, and so people are picturing Liliana as it was years ago. Um, when you know, I think a good analogy I saw recently was that you know they used to have that one four spider with reach for four in limited and now they just put out one that's a four four with reach for four and i think that epitomizes to me you know what magic has become it, it is power creep and things get better over time and so you're we're, we're viewing liliana in the lens that you know one for one valuing and kind of holding down resources and things like that and breaking symmetry is enough these days uh, I think it probably is good. I don't know if it's as good as people are thinking. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of good synergies that exist. Uh, but if it doesn't hit, yeah, I think it could get down to $15 easily 
because you know there's going to be a lot of copies coming into play. Uh, you got to remember this is the set that's going to have Legends cards, and if you look at Zendikar Rising, the cards that um, were in that set just got crushed because there was so much supply out there. I think this set is going to be very similar to that, and so. If Liliana takes off and does well, I, I, I agree it could get up to 35, 40 potentially after hitting a low of mid-20s. But if it doesn't succeed in Pioneer specifically, I think uh, it could get reasonably cheap, low low 20s or high teens. I think, I think if we're comparing Dominaria United to Zendikar, the Expeditions suck up more EV than I expect the Box Toppers plus the Legends cards to do. I agree because with that. the average box topper is going to be worth less than the average expedition was. So I think this this set has room to float a little higher, but I certainly agree that all rumors suggest that there is 10 or 15% more of this being printed than a normal standard set. So that's similar to Neon Dynasty. That's similar to Zendikar. There's going to be a lot of the product floating around. Uh, and that means you should probably... You know, you, you can sell very early on opening weekend if you, you know, pick up some cards at your pre-release or whatever. You, you're going to want to unload those during the hype cycle and then look for lows months out. Now, other than the Liana, the other two that jump out at me is Shieldred the Apocalypse, 2 Double Black, 4 5, Phyrexian Praetor, Death Touch. Whenever you draw a card, you gain 2 life. Whenever an opponent draws a card, they lose 2 life. This combos with a whole bunch of different stuff. Wheel effects the Lich's Mastery that we talked about earlier from Dominaria, and on and on and on and on. There's all sorts of black, black, white, uh, white cards that have a a variety of gaining or losing of life, drawing or discarding, uh, sorry, drawing cards for you or your opponent's drawing cards. It just interacts so broadly, and it's a very solid Death Touch Rattlesnake body for EDH, this card's going to get played a lot for a long time, and they're not going to reprint it for years. Yeah, they they knew coming in this card was good, and that it would see a lot of play, and that it would get expensive. Um, so usually those are the cards that they don't reprint. Um, is the ones that you know are reasonably easy to reprint. You could shove it in a commander deck. It gives five to eight dollars of value that you worry about. This one. Seems like, like you said, it's it's an infinite possibilities, straight value. It could be your commander. Uh, I think this will see more play outside of the commander, though, just as a value creature. Isn't that your read? Cause, yeah, because in competitive, every turn cycle is a four life point gap. Yeah, yeah. So seems seems and, great, and that's I, and that's and that's without interactions, <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly. What? What, like if you get into something that draws you cards and draws your opponent cards at the same time, and your each trigger of that, like there's a there's a white creature that I just pulled out of SNC that I think is a, a that's one one white flyer for four each player draws a card or something. I mean that's silly here, but interactions on like that on cards that are actually good will certainly matter. And even just things like Ledger Shredder, every time it connives when you draw a card, you're gaining two life. I mean just. <laughs> Just that as a starting point is is solid. So yeah, I think Shieldred at her lows, we will all be looking to as a potential spec. The other thing that jumps out at me as being at that level is Sarah Paragon. Two double white, three four. Flying Angel. 
Once during each of your turns, you may play a land from your graveyard or cast a permanent spell with mana value three or less from your graveyard. If you do, it gains when this permanent is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, exile it, and you gain two life. This is a very strong value creature that reads to me a lot like Sun Titan, except Sun Titan costs six. And Sun Titan's been reprinted eight bazillion times. <laughs> Otherwise, it would be expensive too. Um, no, yeah, this is, it's cheap. It provides reoccurring value over and over again um, with very minimal cost because it's both uh, lands or uh, permanent spells of three or less. And so even if you don't have something important in the yard, if you have a fetch land, you can just keep replaying it. Um, the only downside, especially from a constructed standpoint, because there are a lot of mono white decks out there, is that you, um, you know, at four mana, you're, you're probably not going to have any extra mana to cast things out of your yard. And in Pioneer and Standard, there aren't fetch lands and Fable, uh, Fable Passage and things like that don't see a lot of play. So I, I have a hard time picturing somebody wanting to drop this on turn four, hope it lives and then maybe accrue some value from a, from a constructive perspective. So I think this will be really limited to EDH. I'll probably eat those words when it's in, you know, dominating in, in Pioneer. But, um, you know, it, the, the bar is high in, in constructive format. So, but in, in EDH side, it seems like great value, hard to beat, good rate um, with flying, four mana. And it's a mythic, again, which gives it resiliency to reprints, which I love to see. I mean, in the early days of modern, there were definitely like Esper Sun Titan decks floating around. And this costing two less has me suspicious about at least Pioneer and certainly Standard. But unlike Shieldred, which is just kind of good on its own and gets better with, with help, Sarah Paragon is looking to needs interaction, like other cards that interlock well into that puzzle. And you're right, if you don't have fetch lands, you're missing a big piece of the puzzle right there. So I think this this is not something I, we need to rush in on at all. If it doesn't see much standard and or pioneer play, then it's going to get very cheap. Like this will be super cheap by winter. And then we'll just be, you know, we're going to be able to check back in on the EDH rec numbers and see if it's worth pursuing. You know, and I, I now that I'm thinking about it more and the fact that it's an angel, it does make me wonder whether... Uh, Giada giving it, you know, w making it effectively three mana if that's enough to be a backbone of a deck, right? That you have your, you have Giada on turn two, maybe on turn one something that you can, um, you know, put into the yard to bring back. Um, and then, you know, you're just kind of off to the races. That might, that might be enough for a deck now that I'm thinking about it, but we'll see. Well, I mean, part of it is just that you can just, you don't need to send Giada to the command zone while this thing is in play, because you can just let Giada die and then cast this. Yeah. Speaking of, Giada continues to stay and get, get cheaper. Uh, I think I saw a couple copies today, which were definitely out of the norm, but for $1.25 today, um, that is, if you see those, scoop them up, because I can't imagine this will stay as cheap as it is for long, and I know there's been a number of people in our Discord who have really touted this as something that is kind of guaranteed value over the long term, and I tend to agree. Giada was a top five commander for a few weeks, but has since, since slipped to the 25th rank in the last two months, uh, or the last month on EDH rec. But Angels are still a relatively popular tribe, and Giada does something very specific in that deck that is not going to change over time. I mean, an Angel mana rock with upside is 
yeah, you grab those $1.25 copies for sure. Uh, some other stuff that, that jumped out at me, there's a really good goblin, the Rundevault Horde Master, one and a red for a 1-1 one, one goblin warrior. Other goblins you control get plus one, plus one. So that's a two-mana lord. Those are always worth paying attention to because most of the goblin lords in the past have been at three mana. And whenever Horde Master or another goblin you control dies, you exile the top card of your library. If it's a goblin creature card, you may cast that card until the end of your next turn. Boy, when you have the goblin that sacks other goblins for a red mana, and then it activates this thing, and then your Muxus or whatever comes out. Ugh. Yep, and it's till next turn, which yeah. I think is a little excessive on this card. It didn't need that. It would have been good enough already. Uh, if it was this it, turn, yeah. Yeah, and that's just allowing if you hit that Muxus for six and you can't drop it this turn, you wait, you know, you have the opportunity the following turn to, to drop it and then go off. Uh, this card is definitely going to see play in um, Eternal formats, particularly Legacy. I don't, I don't really follow whether goblins are played much in EDH. Uh, goblins as a tribe, if we look at themes, tribes, top. Goblins are the sixth most played tribe with almost 14,000 decks. It goes dragons, zombies, elves, vampires, humans, and then goblins. So I, I think this is a brick, and it's kind of about... If there's no goblin deck in standard, these should get very cheap. And and then you can load up on them at will down the road. Yeah, I made a little bit of money on this card on Magic Online because I Muxus is something that is very, very uh, hard to find on, on Moto. So it's about 25, I think it was 22 to ticks when I bought in. And now it's sitting around 32 just off of right now hype uh but i i do think you know there's a number of people on twitter that play goblins pretty uh enthusiastically who are raving about this card so i i think constructively it might season play that's not enough to move paper prices but love making a you know quick hundred or 200 ticks off of something like this that's easy to read no kidding so do you have any other cards here that jump out at you as uh, early flags for potential bricks yeah, so the Raven Man, which is uh, two, one black, one uh, generic, uh, and it's really made for Liliana. So picture that as you're reading through it. At the beginning of each upkeep, if a player discarded a card this turn, create a 1-1 one, one black bird creature token with flying, and this creature can't block. And then it also has the uh, activated ability of four, one black, three generic uh, tap. Each opponent discards a card, activate this only as a sorcery. And so the idea being that you play this on two, you throw down your Liliana, Liliana on three, and you're off to the races with a kind of makeshift bitter blossom. Uh, will it be good enough? I don't know, but it is a 2-1 body for two. You know, it's not terrible. It's not great by today's standards. But um, between that and the, the Liliana interactions, I think it has the a chance to see play. And again, going back to Pioneer Matters, if... Um, cards like uh you know the mono the uh, ma, ma, uh, excuse me the mono white cards can get up to ten dollars i have no problem seeing this uh explode if it sees a lot of play and so that's something i'll be watching uh particularly early results on magic online and if it's doing particularly well then maybe considering pre-order uh, which i tend to avoid i, I generally recommend avoiding uh, but if it's doing well in the, you know, it comes in, I, I haven't looked at pre-order pricing, but if it's reasonable, I might buy a few. I also like the looks of temporary lockdown, one double white enchantment. Whenever temporary lockdown enters the battlefield, 
Exile each non-land permanent with mana value 2 or less until temporary lockdown leaves the battlefield. So in EDH, if you drop this on 3, <laughs> you could be taking out a Mana Crypt, a Soul Ringer 2, a Signet, a, a Mana Vault. If anybody's playing tokens, those all get wiped out. If they've got treasures on the table or clues, those all get wiped out and never come back. This card does a lot of one-sided work in the right deck. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I, I, I think the feel bad of getting blown out is... Because they come back, right? If Once it leaves no, the battlefield. No, but tokens never come back. Anytime a to- oh, token sure. leaves yeah. play, it's gone for good. Yeah. I, 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 I got burned on Quarantine Field, which was... You know, a little different, but similar. That's that's a very different card because you need six mana just to get rid of two things. Right, right. Yeah. This is this is three mana for potentially a lot of things, and even when it only hits three things, it's a serious speed bump for the table. If they got out ahead of you, because you're foolish enough to be playing mono white or white X, and you just want to slow them down, and you haven't dropped a rock yet, this is going to do a lot of work. And the thing is, enchantments survive the longest in Commander. I mean, there are certainly, you know, things that exile any permanent, destroy any permanent, but they often need to be aimed at threats. And people are are often reluctant to aim at something like this unless they need it to, to continue executing their game plan. If all, if, if, you know, wasting their Assassin's Trophy or whatever on a temporary lockdown is going to prevent them from having point removal against a 2020 attacking them later in the game, they're, they're going to hold on to that. Now, that doesn't mean this is necessarily a great brick, because the problem here is that it is a stacks piece, essentially. And those don't make money all that often. Yeah, I I tend to agree. I mean, with all these things, even if it might be the... I think the way to always think about any sort of brick or long-term spec is, is there something better? Um, and... You know, I, I think this set is is and other sets coming forthcoming are are really looking very strong. Look like they have a lot of opportunities. Um, you know, going back to some of the things we talked about, like the new triumphs and things like that. There there are sure sure things, and then there's something like this where you know the high potential, uh, but it's re- reliant on people actually picking up and playing the card. Uh, and once you know we have EDH numbers, we can see what whether or not they are. But I'm not confident something like this you know is even if it's good, right? Good doesn't mean people play it. Good means they should play it, <laughs> and they might they might not, or or the fact that it's white or whatever. So we'll see. But yeah, I'd wait. I'd wait on the EDH rec data on this, and if it gets cheap and the, the data looks good, then I would jump in. But otherwise, I would be in waiting mode. There's also this green gifts ungiven that has me very suspicious. Threats undetected for two and a green sorcery. Search your library for up to four creature cards with different powers and reveal them. An opponent chooses two. You put those in your hand. The other two go back in the library. It's not that hard, especially in EDH, to have four creatures in the deck where any two of the four they give you are very bad news for the table. It's a, it's, a, it's a double tutor, much in the same way as Shared Summons is, but Shared Summons costs five. And I will not be surprised to see this, yeah, I was going to say 20,000 EDH rack for Shared Summons since it came out in M20 a few years back. Yeah, I'm trying to think, I'm looking up what Gifts Ungiven is at right now. It's, because... it's cheap because it's been printed quite a bunch. 
Yeah. Oh, specific, oh I, I, yeah. So I mean, give you, and I, I wasn't around for this, but I didn't realize gifts on given is banned in EDH. So that's obviously a good sign in the sense that it's a powerful effect if it's uh, good enough to get something banned. And so putting it on a green card and giving you, you know, uh, uh, access to only a lot features. of different tutoring. Yeah, but a lot of a lot of tutoring, uh, I think, is, is a powerful effect. Any tutoring is a powerful effect, honestly. So I like it. It's something I'll keep an eye on. I, I think it's flexible because it has combo potential to go after the table in very short order. And they, they have the puzzle of discussing amongst themselves how they minimize the damage. Or you just go get four value creatures in something like Meldrotha. And, and you don't care. <laughs> they're, they're, they're not necessarily combos. They're just all going to be good. Yeah, and or... You, and you double tutored for three mana. And it's not... And one of the things that often happens with cards like this is you look at the top four cards. You look at the top six cards. You look at the top eight cards. Not with this card. This is three mana to go through your whole deck and grab right. four creatures, keep two. And, I mean, they grab... I mean, Turtle Witness and one other, and you're essentially guaranteed to get back whatever you asked for anyway, which is... Well, no, these are, with... no, the other two go back to the library, unlike Gifts Ungiven. Oh, the power, I, I the power of Gifts Ungiven was that it sets okay. up reanimation strategies. Yeah. These, they're very careful here to send two home. Two are definitely yeah. home. But if Smart. you take... If you have, over, if you have overlapping... Uh, or, sorry, if you have redundancy in your deck where... You need like a kiki jiki like thing, and then a combo right. piece with it. Then you could get kiki and another kiki thing. Right. Imperial recruiter and the and white imperial recruiter. Exactly, and so I, I think that this card is pr- probably a brick because it's the thing I like about it is it's not re- tied to any specific theme necessarily. It just looks like a great green tutor. And Shared Summons is in 20,000 decks. Now, countering all those lovely points I just made, Shared Summons is only $4. So if, is this going to get down to $0.50 cents or something on opening weekend and set up set up a buy list at double or triple a year later like Shared Summons did? Could be. I definitely buy listed Shared Summons for money. Yeah, Shared Summons was five mana, though. That's night and day. You know, having it be three mana opens it up to so much more flexibility, I feel like, in a good way. Five mana and instant, which is helpful. I wonder how much, in green, I wonder how much you use the instant ability. It's a good question. Yeah. Like how much it matters. Uh, So, to wrap things up, we're going to take a look at the latest secret layer release. We've got the August Super Drop that was released on Monday. Most of us have already made our purchases uh, amongst the Discord and, in fact, have gone ahead and started selling codes to one of our vendor partners. We launched a new channel today where people can get another 5 or 10% of their secret layer order back into their hands in short order. Probably the biggest news on this super drop is that Wizards has changed the discounting process. For a long time, for the first couple of years, if you bought the full bundle, so like one of everything or one of everything non-foil or one or every, everything foil or one of everything non-foil and foil, you ended up getting somewhere between like 13 and 18% off. And it was, you know, it varied plus or minus a couple of percentage points on different drops. But they were, they were trying to incentivize you to get an even amount 
of things. And that made sense to me because from a production standpoint, you would want to try to steer production towards a place of evenness in a lot of scenarios. But something must have changed or they're experimenting or maybe their production process is different than I would imagine it is because now they're offering 10% off if you spend 50 bucks and 20% off if you spend $200 and it doesn't matter whether you bundle or not. And in fact, the bundles don't seem to have carry discounts naturally anymore. And that what that's going to do to their process, I think, over time is in drops that are uneven, where one or two of the drops are clearly much more exciting than the others, they're going to end up printing twenty or 30,000 or 50,000. Or in the case of, like, I think the Praetors, it was, it was suggested that at one point that there was 80,000 units printed, um, although that's never been fully proven. And some other drops might be only five or 10,000, which opens up a very interesting down-the-road scenario where something that's very popular might still outpace something that's unpopular but printed far less if the demand relative to the supply is still greater on the popular thing. But if a, if a drop is underestimated in terms of trailing demand, and say you get one drop that is only 25% more popular than another but sells five times more, then that's going to end up being one of these, you know, kitty cat drops that people underestimated that ended up being worth a hundred bucks. Yeah, it's a strange move, honestly. Um, you know, you'd think you'd want to force some demand into the other products. I've definitely bought bundles that I wasn't thrilled about because I thought it made sense enough to get the discounts uh, and to deal with the bad drops. Uh, I'm not sure what angle they're going at. I hope they keep it, honestly, uh, but. It again reinforces that the secret layer economy is changing. Um, that they're that what worked a year ago, where you just buy the obvious, you know, buy it as many as you can and flip it either right away or in a year. I don't think that's going to hold as true. I think the timelines keep getting extended as they, you know, here reinforce the value of the obvious drops. Uh, in addition, having sixty copies be available per order, um, really, you know, and that's still relatively recent within the last six months is reinforcing that the good ones will get ordered will have walls uh will force down and pressure prices upon release and so for those that are obvious it's the it still probably makes sense to order them uh but for many of them i'm going to be taking a more wait and see approach and buying singles on the open market rather than going in on sealed product uh, based on some of these changes that have occurred so let's just go over what they offered here. There was two drops that I, I flag as being largely collector-focused. There's one that's called In Memoriam Jaya Ballard, because apparently Jaya dies when, spoiler alert, uh, if it wasn't obvious, but Jaya dies in the current storyline related to Dominaria United. And so they have five cards that are related to her. Probably the most interesting there is Pyromancer's Goggles as a widely played uh, spell deck based card um that's a that's a potentially a foil borderless version of that it's pretty cool but the rest of the drop is is none too exciting even though the art is solid throughout likewise the they're, they're taking the stained glass treatment that they're using as the showcase treatment for dominaria united and they applied it to the original five elder dragons so this is arcadis sabath chromium nicobolas vectus asmati and palladium moors the problem is nobody plays any of these cards so the demand, I ignored this completely because even though they look amazing, 
I see it as a collector-only play. The question becomes, is this going to be one of the underestimated drops where because they're so sexy looking, there will in fact be collectors trying to buy these a year or two down the road and pushing the price up on it? I, Of all of them, I think this is the one that might do that, and they are gorgeous. Um, they really cards are, are nice. The cards are terrible, but they are really gorgeous. And so I could absolutely see people running them strictly or you know obviously keeping them in binders but even running one or two in their decks just because they like the art uh not because of the dragon itself um yeah if you haven't looked at them take a look online they're absolutely stunning much better than any of the prior stained wool glass imagery in my opinion there's an artist series drop here for an artist called Nils Ham, and this drop includes foils, or non-foils, of Deep Glow Skate, Tireless Tracker, Contagion Engine, and Sword of Truth and Justice. We talked about Sword earlier as something that's caught a couple of reprints, but the thing is, Modern Horizons 1 didn't have a huge print run, and they were expensive. Like, the boxes were expensive, so the cost basis per card was high. And then the Modern Horizons 2 MH1 reprints were only in the collector boosters. Uh, so yes, there are, you know, foil and foil etched old border swords of truth and justice floating around. And that certainly weighs on this, uh, additional reprint, but the art here is solid. And that card is still expensive. I think the, the sword of truth and justice old border foils are, let me just check that. So just basic sword of truth and justice from modern horizons is a $24 card at market price. And the... MH2 reprints, Retrofame, goes for TCG Market of 23 uh, in foil. And there was no non-foils, right? Uh, Correct. No non-foils. Right. And that's down to 36 listings. So if you look at this $40 drop as just being a potential $15 to $20 Sword of Truth and Justice foil... Looks pretty solid to me because Deep Glow Skate uh, was in Double Masters and has a sub $10 foil, but it's not dirt cheap. It's not bulk. Contagion Engine foils, I don't know how much play Contagion Engine really sees anymore, but we're about to go through four sets of Phyrexian activity. So proliferation and minus one, minus one counters could very easily be at the forefront of all this. Just a basic version of Contagion Engine is $13 market price, whether it's from the list or Scars of Mirrodin. And then Scars of Mirrodin foils are pricey, $20 like 26, plus. yeah. Yeah. And then Tireless Tracker is I think a single printing card other than Mystery Brewster printing. It was also on the list uh, for a little while. Got it. And foils of that are $20 near mint. So I bought four of the Nils Ham because this actually looks like one of the more solid uh, foil drops that they've had in a while. The other artist series is Victor Adame Minguez. Apologies if I butchered the last name. Problem with this one is the only thing I care about here is Lord of the Undead with motorcycle art, and then Compost is cool, but Knight of the White Orchid and Knight Exemplar don't really matter much. So I skipped this one entirely. Uh, there's a drop with cool art um, by Jeannie Lynn Pasquet, and the borderless cards are Matter Reshaper, Toothy Imaginary Friend, Peer Imaginative Rascal, and the Gitrog Monster. We had a Judge Foil Gitrog not that long ago. 
some people will be really into this cutesy art, others will not. Matter Reshaper doesn't matter much, and Toothy and Peer are not high-value targets, so I skipped this one as well. Yeah, I'd be curious to see how Toothy and um, Peer hold up. I think they're combined between the two. The basic versions are about $20 between the two. And Matter Reshaper doesn't really see much play anymore. As I mean, it comes and goes, but Eldrazi Tron, even when it's played, uh, it's not dominant. And then Get Rug, yeah, love it, but I don't, I don't want to pay for it. So I, I think at best on uh, release day, you're probably coming close to break even. Uh, of course, all of this discussion presumes that the um, secret in the secret layer is something that you know isn't providing tremendous value. Usually, that can add on. 10% or so. Um, so it's not insignificant, but I don't think it usually makes or breaks a drop. I, I tend to discount it to zero in my planning. And then if I'm pleasantly surprised, fantastic. Yeah, I do. Um, because almost anything can happen. And a lot of the time I don't even open these anymore. So the bonus card is, is largely irrelevant from the sense of me not touching it. If it adds to the market value, there's always the opportunity to crack later if selling singles is preferable to selling it sealed. Yeah, and I will say if you if you look at the um, Crater Hook Behemoth drop, you know I think that's a good reference point for this weird art kind of kitty. You know I don't I don't really know what I'm looking at type of thing, and that's done fine. It's done exactly what you'd expect, but you know the I think the art has held that back a little bit, and I think this one too. I mean this is nothing. I I, I don't maybe I'm missing something here, but. It doesn't seem like something people would clamor for. So here's the other thing. With all of that put to the side, there's a part of this drop that's just such an obvious win. <laughs> they gave us, they brought back Dan Fraser because clearly his signet series that had five allied signets, five enemy signets, and they came with an arcane signet as the bonus was very, very popular. I mean, that must have sold very, very well for them to bring the same artist back again and extend the program. And they're doing the same thing. It's uh, old border or old border foil etch so that they match the previous series for your EDH collections. And the enemy talismans got a old border foil treatment in Modern Horizons 2? Yes. <laughs> I think Just so. Just double check that, right. that, I'm not, that it wasn't Modern Horizons 1. So while you're looking that up, Looking at the number one best-selling sealed secret layer right now on TCG, which I don't know how much data they're pulling into that, but what would you guess is the number one selling sealed secret layer at this point? Street Fighter. Close. It's number two. What's your second guess? Um, Pre-orders on the Pride layer, maybe? It's the uh, Mischief Drop. Gotcha. Which, which is it, I, and so if you look at the top four, one of which is pre-release, so it's Mischief followed by Street Fighter, followed by Stranger Things, followed by Fortnite. Uh, granted, those are relatively new, uh, although Stranger Things is getting a little older now. I think the one thing they have in common is that they and, and Arcane is up there as well. Uh, all of them are license the licensed secret layers, and so I think that's maybe a takeaway is that these licenses are working; they're selling pretty well. Uh, they're on the best-selling list pretty consistently. Uh, and so, you know, I think when those are coming out, like the uh, Doctor Who one coming up, I think I might take a closer look at those than I would have otherwise. 
So I was right about the enemy uh, talismans. They were Modern Horizons 2. They're listed as Modern Horizons on TCG Player, but that's very misleading and always will be. Um, they were part of the MH2 Old Border uh, foils that were available in the Collector Boosters last summer for Modern Horizons 2. They are only about 5 bucks, like 3 to $5 each, depending on which one you're talking about. And so some people on our Discord were like, well, I mean, are talismans going to do as well as the Signets? And I think that's a valid consideration. They may not do as well because of the drag on the uh, from the old border foils that already exist. But I suspect, and I put my, my my chip, I put my chips down on this basis that because it's Dan Fraser art, who for people that don't understand, he's a Power Nine artist, right? He did the original Moxes. Yeah, I believe so. Um, and let me just double check that, make sure I'm not talking to my ass. Mox Pearl artist was yeah dan fraser so the original power nine artist doing your mana rocks for edh is a pretty big deal and we know the last set did well these are a part of a arguably part of a matching expanded set and so that in and of itself to me suggests success and we don't know what the bonus will be, but it's probably worth at least five or 10 bucks plus itself. Last time it was Arcane Signet, that was best of all worlds. Probably won't be that good this time, but it probably will still be good. It could be something like a Felwar Stone, which is a you know 1994 era mana rock that still sees play and could use this treatment. And so I got 12 of the allied because the enemy talismans got the old border treatment in MH2, but the allied did not. So I got 12 allied, six enemy, and I got four of the Nils ham, all foil or foil etched and called it a day. Um, that gave me a 20% discount. And then by selling the arena codes to our vendor partner inside the pro trader discord, that got me another 10% discount. So I'm 30% ahead on these $40 basically makes these almost $30 secret layers in foil. And if they get up anywhere north of 50, I'm golden. Yeah, it seems, again, you don't want to overthink the market. And this is one where if it doesn't get there right away, it has to get there long term. These things are played everywhere. It, like you said, it's a popular artist. They look great. Um, I wouldn't try to outthink it. And, you know, get at least a few, maybe get more. I'm buying 29 of each. Uh, and the 29 is the magic number. Hopefully Watts isn't listening, but... It's the number that gets you uh, the pre-order without having to pay. Usually, I haven't tested on this one, but that's usually the case. And so uh, pay for it in a few months. Uh, and if anything changes, I can always cancel between now and then. Uh, but yeah, this is this is about as sure as they come for a secret layer for incremental single single base double hit. Um, you know, this probably won't be a home run, honestly, because it is so obvious. But you know, if you can get 20, 30 percent, take that run and reinvest it. Why not? Fair enough. All right. I think that's uh, all the way through our pretty big slate this week. Where can folks find you online, Derek? Yeah, you can find me online on Twitter at Oko Assassin or on my weekly uh, articles for MTG Price on Monday afternoons uh, right on the, the homepage. How about you, James? You guys can find me on Twitter at MTG Critic as well as via my occasional articles on MTGPrice.com, my constant haunting of the Pro Trader Discord, right alongside Derek, who runs our Magic Online channel. 
Uh, I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MTG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use promo code FINANCE5, that's the number 5, during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% on your order and to support this podcast. That brings us to the end of this episode, James. Really enjoyed the conversation and look forward to doing it again next week. Thank you, Derek, and we'll see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Mm-hmm.